0: Jesus sees things differently. How many of you are old enough to remember the old school 3D 3D glasses where you had like the, the blue lens? Do you remember those? You got them? Yeah, you, you, you got them when you saw Jaws 3D in the mid-80s and you took them home and on the car ride home, you marveled at how weird it made the world look. When you hear the teachings of Jesus, when you hear Him speak, and then, and then when you look at the life that He lived, the people that He hung out with, and certainly the message that He preached it becomes very quickly clear to you that he, he views the world through very different lenses. I mean, you could say that, that Jesus' message and his life, it all seems to come from another world. Uh, for example, if, if Jesus were here, like right now, flesh and blood, standing next to me, and we, we asked him basic questions that, that any normal human being living in the 21st century be able to a- answer in a normal way, Jesus would answer probably in such a way that would make all of us scratch our heads. That's what we know from what he speaks about in the scriptures. So, for example, if Jesus were standing, whoops, Jesus were standing right here, and we were to say to him, Jesus, who's the greatest person in the world? Jesus would say something like, the least and the lowliest among you. And you'd be thinking, all right, I was thinking maybe you'd say something like the Pope or Beyonce, but okay. Jesus, what's what's your favorite food? I'll give you a softball. What's your favorite food? What's the best cuisine in mankind? And Jesus would say, I'm the bread of life. He who hungers for me will never truly hunger. And you'd be like, okay, I'm gluten-free doing a keto thing. That doesn't really work for me. (laughs) Let, let, let me Let me ask you another question. What advice do you have to give to someone who wants to make the most of their life, who really wants to crush this life? What would you say to them? And Jesus would respond with, He who saves himself will lose himself. And the last, oh, they're the ones who will be first. And immediately you start to think, Jesus, you're never going to become a social media influencer with that kind of downer (laughs) content. It's not going to work. Jesus sees things through a different lens. He comes from a different world. And throughout the season of Lent, we're going to be walking through Jesus' longest and most important sermon that he ever taught a sermon where he was sitting on the side of a mountain and rabbis were prone to do, and he gathered a large crowd around him, and he, he taught on everything you can think of. He, he gave the world his take on everything. We, you get to see the world through his lenses in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we're going to be studying. And the goal is not just for us to, to understand the content of that sermon, but our, our goal is to get behind the lenses that Jesus is looking at the world through and see things, see ourselves from his perspective. In fact, you could say that that's a big part of what discipleship, if you're here as a Christian, is all about. It's it's learning over the course of time to see yourself and the world as Jesus sees us and as Jesus sees the world. So today we're going to start with the section that was just read a moment ago, The first the first seven or eight verses of Matthew chapter 5. It's... It's commonly called the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us this. He tells us what blessing is from his perspective. You could say the title of today's sermon is Blessing According to Jesus. Blessing According to Jesus. And when I say blessing, what I mean is the successful life according to Jesus. This is what he's talking about. The crushing it, killing it, making it life according to Jesus. The the good life according to Jesus. And when you look at Jesus' definition of the blessed life, you'll see that his definition is very different from ours. In this sermon, you'll see that Jesus not only defines what it means to be blessed in this life from his perspective, but he also very clearly outlines how we arrive at that blessing. But but don't be mistaken, we have a very different view of what it means to be blessed. Uh, Our view of blessing tends to focus on possessions, achievements, and experiences. Case in point, if you were to go to Instagram and just search hashtag blessed, you'd get about 121 million responses. That doesn't include hashtag blessed prayer hands, or hashtag blessed smiling emoji with a halo, or hashtag blessed praise hands. That's another couple hundred million posts. But just looking at blessed, 121 million responses, you'll get everything from, from someone who's proud of their fitness to someone who's thankful for the fact that they got a brand new car for their birthday. Someone who's feeling really blessed because they just happen to have the cutest kids in the world, and you don't. Someone who is on a better vacation than you could ever afford. And someone who's thankful, this is my tribe, just for coffee. We, we tend to determine blessing, the successful life, the good life, in, in terms of possessions, accomplishments, and experiences. Now, now I don't want to take anything away from these. these. These are gifts of God. These are good things. These are blessings. But Jesus defines what it means to be successful, to live the good life, to be blessed, very differently than all of this stuff. And you get it right away in Matthew chapter 5. Look again at those, those first nine verses. I'm not going to read through them. Just, just look at it for yourself. Just kind of scan it really quickly. And what do you see? Take a quick glance at this. Jesus says someone is blessed when they encounter the kingdom of God. Someone is blessed when they receive the comfort of God. I think it's in, verse, in verse 4 you see the mercy of God. In verse 8 Jesus says... The person is blessed when they're seeing and perceiving God. And in verse 9, it's when you're called a son, or you could also say a daughter of God. That's what it means to be blessed. Are you sensing a theme here? Jesus has a different definition of blessing and it has nothing to do with vacations or kids or coffee, though those are indeed blessings. Jesus has a different definition. Here's how we would characterize it. According to Jesus, the blessed life is being loved by and belonging to the maker of life. You could summarize this in a lot of different ways, but for the sake of our conversation, here's how we'll do it. Blessing, according to Jesus, is belonging to and being loved by God. That's very clear at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessing, according to Jesus, is belonging to and being loved by God. The blessed life, the successful, favored, crushing it, killing it, making the most of life, is one where you are known, loved, and experiencing the one who gave you life. Now when I hear that, I'm mindful of of a handful of conversations I've had over the course of my ministry with parishioners and friends who who are adopted, who at a very young age, they were adopted into, from, for most of them, uh, an incredible family, very well loved, and they've grown up to be successful, functional adults. Uh, they feel very blessed to have been adopted by the families that they're in, and yet yet to a person of those that I know, they will tell you that there is... There is, this, there is this desire in some capacity to know the people who share their DNA. Maybe they seek it out, maybe they don't, but there is an awareness that there are people out there who are part of your physical family tree, people out there whose love gave birth to you. And there will always be a sense of a need to know them. Which makes me think about the common human condition. What the Christian faith teaches is that each one of us ultimately is better and is blessed if we know the one who made us. That there is within all of humanity a need, whether you recognize it or not, a need to know the favor of the Creator. A need to know that the one who made you is pleased with you. Creation needs to know its creator. And apart from that, we will gather up all kinds of people and possessions and plaques and experiences to build up and to convince ourselves and to convince the world that that we have the blessed life. But Jesus says there's more, there's something deeper. You, you, You need to know you're loved by the one who put breath in your lungs, and life in your body. You need to know them. That's the blessed life. Now, if I were to stop right there, you, you can make a case that, that, that Jesus' teaching is no different than any other major religious teacher. Most every religious teacher would say something similar to you that, that the meaning of life or success in life is belonging to and being loved by God. I mean, you could take uh, the Buddha, you could take Muhammad, you could take um, one of the the first-century rabbis, or a 21st-century rabbi like Kanye West, and they will all say kind of the same thing. They will say the blessed life is being known by and loved by God. But this is really where Jesus differs. Every other religious leader will tell you that in order to receive the love and the belonging with your Creator, it, it involves you doing something. And and in the end, it all comes back again to possessions and accomplishments and experiences. What every other religion will ultimately say to you is, is you need to uh, worship in a certain way or with a certain frequency or you need to, to pray a certain amount or surround yourself with certain people or avoid certain degrees or, or intensity of sin. Uh, you need to really want it bad in order to be connected to God. You need to prove your desire. You need to do, perform, receive something that shows you want to be or are and can be connected to the divine. And yet Jesus gives the opposite message. Go back to Matthew 5 looking now not at what the definition of the blessed life is, looking now at how you arrive at the blessed life. And what does Jesus say? Again, just staring at the text, he mentions in verse 3 the spiritually bankrupt, they've arrived at the blessed life. Those who are overwhelmed with sadness, verse 4, they've arrived at the blessed life. The easily overlooked, those whose hearts are broken by a broken world. The vulnerable, the unsophisticated, the culturally out of step, they have all arrived at the blessed life. This is where diff This is where Jesus shows how different he is. For Jesus, the path to being loved by God and belonging to God is not a path of performance whatsoever. It's not a path, it's a place. And it's a place where very few, if anyone, really truly wants to reside. What is the picture Jesus is painting? He's painting a picture of people who are broken, people who are empty, people who are weak, people who are overlooked, people who are abused, people whose hands are empty. And he's saying those are the people who are ripe and ready to receive the blessed life, the love and the belonging that comes from their creator that every human being needs. Those are the people. Think of yourself for a moment like a tree. What what kind of tree do you want to be? you want to be like a mighty oak? Do you want to be an apple tree? What is it? Just think. You got one? All right, now, what do we say of an oak tree that never has leaves? What do we say of an apple tree that never, ever produces an apple? What do we say of a blue spruce that's turned brown? We call it dead. We look at a dead tree and we say, well, let's just cut it down and do something useful with it, make some furniture out of it. But Jesus, Jesus looks at dead trees, so to speak, and he he doesn't see something that's fruitless. No, he sees something, someone who is ripe and ready to bear the fruit that is most beautiful to him. And the fruit that's most beautiful to him is dependence. The fruit that's most beautiful to him is needing him, relying upon him, believing in him being desperate for him. Jesus sees that fruit in the life of broken, dead people, and he says, oh, this, this is beautiful to me because then I can give them in this place what every person, every tree truly needs. And what is it that you need? You need the forgiveness of God. You need the promise of a better future. You need a love from your maker that will truly satisfy you. That's What you need. And those who are broken and empty, they are ripe and ready to receive it. Now, when you understand that, that Jesus meets us in our weakness, that God brings the blessing of his love and belonging when we are at the end of our rope, or when we are in a state of what my daughter would call big sad, that changes everything. It suddenly clicks into place everything Jesus talks about in all of the scriptures. And, and the purpose of his teaching altogether. I, I told you that we're going to study throughout Lent the entire Sermon on the Mount, and, and what you're going to see is that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus talks about just about everything. He talks about money, he talks about enemies, he talks about prayer, he talks about generosity, he talks about sexuality, he talks about family, he talks about everything. And in, those, in that teaching, he is instructing us. He's showing us how to live. He's, he's setting the standard. He's showing us the ideal. But he's up to something ultimately bigger and deeper than that. When you look through the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of Jesus' teaching, you see that Jesus, Jesus never lowers the expectation on us. No, in fact, he takes the expectation, he takes what we would call the law, and he turns it up to 11 I tell you, anyone who's even looked at someone who's not their spouse lustfully has committed adultery. That's not Jesus meek and mild. He's turning the law and the expectation up to 11. Why is he doing that? He's doing that so that as you see that standard and compare yourself to that standard, your preconceived notions about who you are will shatter and you will see that you already are today, right now. You are the person described in the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 5. You are the spiritually bankrupt. You are the poor in spirit. You are the meek. You are the easily overlooked. You are weak. You are empty-handed. You're nothing apart from the grace of God. God, and he turns up the intensity of the law to break you and to show you who you are. I read earlier this week about something that uh, some doctors are calling Snapchat dysmorphia. Apparently there is a a growing number of people in our culture today who, who are experiencing emotional trauma from the disconnect that they perceive between how they look in everyday life and how they look through the filters that they put on their pictures on Snapchat, Instagram, or TikTok. And that some are even seeking out plastic surgeons who can make them look more like they do through their filters on their social media accounts. That's true, and it's it's also desperately sad. Although, I'll be honest with you, I would pay a little bit of money to look like this. Because it's adorable. All right, but you can take that down. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus has come through his teaching. He's come, and, and through his teaching, he he wants to eradicate all the filters. He wants to uh, abolish. All of the moral airbrushing that we put on ourselves that keeps us kidding ourselves and believing that that we have the blessed life apart for Him or that we're good enough in some capacity to earn it. He wants to shatter it. And then once He shatters it, once He removes it, and we see that we have empty hands, He then comes to us and He proclaims to us all the things that He's done for us. He, He says the law that I preach to you, I've lived perfectly for you. And and my death on the cross where I was killed as though I did everything wrong, even though you're the one who's done so many things wrong, I died that death for you. And then the grave that I rose out of, I rose out of your grave, the tomb that you're constantly running from. He says, look, I I know that you're a dead tree, a bad kid, a screwed-up son, a messed-up daughter. I know who you are, and yet everything that I've done, I've done it for you. I've lived for you, died for you, and risen for you. And now, in your emptiness, I meet you and I tell you that I choose you, and I love you. I forgive you, and I'm making you brand new. You have the love of God and you belong to his family. That's what he does. That's what he's up to. Now this morning there there are three types of people here with us this morning. There are the broke, the blind, and the woke. And every teenager in the room is going to hate the fact that I use the word woke. But that's part of why I did it. The blind are those who don't see their need for the grace and the mercy of God. You're not opposed to it, but you you come in here and and from our perspective, your eyes are still closed to the fact that your hands are actually empty, that you are the person described in the first five verses of Matthew chapter 5. You're still defining your life and, and blessedness and success largely upon uh, accomplishments and possessions and experiences. And you look at your life and you say, it's far from perfect, but, but it's okay. <laughs> and when we talk about things like God's mercy and grace, again, you're not opposed to it, but you don't really feel any hunger any need for it. And if that's you, if you are, from our perspective, blind to your need, then I'll be honest with you this morning, I, I don't really have anything for you. Other, other than an invitation, perhaps. An, an invitation to, to join us in the coming weeks as we look at Jesus' sermon and His teaching about things that you care about, about things like like family and money and anxiety. He's going to touch on all those things. And as He teaches on those things, I, I would say that you should just ask yourself a question according to Jesus' teaching. How am I doing? And be, be honest with yourself and then and then... Be aware of how your answer to that question hits you. So the blind are here with us. But, but so are the broke. And, and by that I don't mean financially, although that may be the case for you. But what I mean are the, are the people who know that they're spiritually bankrupt, the person who just last night on Saturday did something terrible and yet you managed to crawl your way to church on Sunday because you're desperate for mercy. Or the person who has a relationship they can't fix, a diagnosis they can't overturn, uh, a problem in their family that simply won't go away and it has you desperately sad. Or you've got two small children and and no more energy to give and you you feel physically spent. You've got nothing left and you're tired of doing it all by yourself. Or or you have a daughter who you desperately love who no longer believes and it's leaving you empty. You're so worried about her. You have a dad who's... Whose cancer's come back and you can't take that from him, you can't fix it for him. And it's so hard to see your parents struggling and, and it has you feeling like like just a pair of empty hands. You've got absolutely nothing. And if that's who you are, if you are the broke, <laughs> then here's what I have for you this morning. Listen to me. You are the one God loves. In Christ, you, you are forgiven. In Christ, you have a future. In Christ, you are being made new. In Christ, you are not alone. You belong to the one who made you. Believe it. And, and then there are the, uh, the woke, so to speak. Those of us whose, whose eyes are open both to our spiritual need, but, but also to the blessings that are ours in Jesus. Through our belief in baptism, we know that, that, that we have the love of God and we belong to God. Our eyes are opened to that. And that's a great thing. Here's my encouragement to those of us who would say our eyes are opened to our deep need and God's great grace, and we've, re- we've received them both. That this week, as you move forward in your week, My ask of you would be at some point in your week to take your eyes off of the peak of whatever mountain you're desperately trying to climb and put it down at the ground floor where the hungry and the grieving and the hurting are. And they are all around us. And that you would crawl close to them, close enough to whisper to them, there is a better kingdom. and it belongs to you. Close enough to say the mercy and the grace and the love of God are yours. And, and how do you do that? You get close to them. You just show some kindness to them, or you have a conversation that could lead to an invitation to a place like this, or in your interaction with them, you're just transparent with them so that though they see that you're clearly a kind of fruitless tree too most of the time, that you have an audacious hope that they don't. That's what it means. I'll close with this. There was a young man who was asked to teach Sunday school at the last minute to a group of five-year-olds. So he's dragged into Sunday school class. He finds himself with a group of five-year-olds who are just staring at him blankly. And so he asks him the first question that comes to mind. He says, how will we get into heaven? And still, blank stares from the kids. So he decides to get more creative with his question. He says, uh, kids, if... If I gave all my money to the poor, and I fixed climate change, and I was the best husband to my wife that any wife has ever known, would would that get me into heaven? And instantly the kids responded, no. If I bought all the candy in the world and gave it to all the kids in the world, would that get me into heaven? The class said, no. No. If I showed up at church every week and I mowed the lawn and I cleaned the church and I I gave all my money to church and I helped and served at the church, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids said, No. And so he said, How do you get into heaven? And one little boy's hand shot in the air and he called on him and the boy screamed, You gotta be dead. That little boy's words were truer than he knew. (laughs) Jesus sees the world differently. He sees the world differently. Blessing is belonging to and being loved by God, and that blessing meets us not through a series of accomplishments, but it meets us in our weakness when we're ready to receive it, and Christ gives it to us. You arrive at the blessed life when you encounter Jesus Christ who loves and embraces and resurrects dead people. More next week. Let's pray.